so good to be in the house of the Lord. I'm just, just to worship with you this morning, it means everything. Just to uh, let our hair down a little bit, lift our hands before the Lord, just praise him, thank him for everything. I, you know, that song we're singing this morning, it was a new song as far as I, as far as I know anyhow. And uh, they're talking about how you never uh, run out of words to say thank you. The truth of the matter is, is I run out of words to say thank you all the time. I can't think of any other word to say than thank you. I mean, I, 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 I say it, I never run out of times that I say it. It seems like in every day I'm saying that over and over and over again, or thank you. God is so good to us. I was looking for you to say amen to that. Hallelujah. Well, um, you know, today is Easter Sunday, but uh, uh, Palm Sunday, next week is Easter Sunday. And so, yeah, I, I'll get it. I'll catch on here in a little bit. Um, the, uh, you know, the flyers that we have, how many of you have seen the flyers? They're there in for you. Last week, I was preaching on the North Campus. That was really cool. One of the uh, ladies there, uh, Valerie, one of the coolest ladies you'll ever know. So she takes a stack of flyers and she's, she's writing names on them. All the people that she works with, she's putting their name on the, on the flyer. And she says, she's got hold of them. She said, I'm going to take these in. And uh, I'm like a personal invitation to everyone that I work at. What a great idea, huh? Maybe, maybe you could do something like that. Grab a stack of those flyers and uh, let's reach out to people. Let's reach out to touch them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, you know, what I'd like to do this morning um, is just make a moment to thank you for your giving. And um, you, you, you guys are the most amazing people in that it doesn't take uh, someone pushing and, and, and pulling on you, that you just open your hearts and realize that the kingdom of God is built by faithful people who just give to God. Amen. And so there's many different ways you can give. Many of you know that. There's envelopes under your seat, giving boxes in the back. Electronically, the different ways that you can give, very, very easy to find. Parents... I got any parents in this place? If your kids are with you, I want you to give them a hug right now. Parents, give them a hug. That's right. And then send them off to one of the greatest <laughs> Sunday school lessons they're ever going to have. Amen. Aren't you grateful for our, our, our Sunday school teachers, all the e-kids in their different classrooms? <clears throat> well, we're going to start and continue on here. Um, I don't, want to, I don't want to forget to mention Friday night. Who knows what's going on Friday night? Who knows what goes on? Friday, oh my goodness gracious. It's always such. It's always such a wonderful uh, a time of year. I look forward to it. Because what we do is we open the amphitheater, set that up, it's all lit up, it's beautiful, big, big table down the middle of the amphitheater with a communion supper on it, and we just come together, begin to worship and praise and thank God for his goodness, and then we share communion. What, it's an unforgettable night. You ought to just bring some people with you and just enjoy the, uh, the evening. Let's get into the word this morning. Continuing on with our theme. Who remembers the theme? If you remember it, shout it out. Somebody remember it. Jesus culture. 
That's correct. And so when we speak about Jesus culture, what we're literally doing is we're speaking about a, cult, a counter culture, a culture that is opposite of the way things are in the world. And to begin the series, I, if you remember, I opened the series with a, a sermon that I just entitled Jesus, and it was about revelation, the fact that we need revelation to see Jesus for who he really is. Because the truth of the matter is, Jesus, they just never have known Jesus. And it's not enough to know about Jesus. We've got to have a personal relationship with him because I can assure you today that he wants a personal relationship with you. And so he asked his disciples that had followed with him, walked with him. One of the most important questions that a person could ever be asked, he asked them in uh, Matthew 16 and 15, he says, who do you say that I am? And of course, the disciples, even though they should have known who he was, they began to stumble for an answer. They came up with different ideas of who uh, they thought that he was. But, 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 but Peter stood up in verse number 16 and made a declaration. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What a tremendous declaration. And Jesus shot right back at him and he said, blessed are you, Simon of John because my Father in heaven has revealed this revelation. He's revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. So literally what Jesus is saying, you didn't learn that from sermon. You didn't learn that from just watching a miracle that I performed or, uh, or a book that you've read. You have had your eyes opened by God. You have had revelation. This is what revelation is. It's God allowing us to see and know Jesus for who he really is. He's a life alterer. Can you say amen to that? He's a, he's a life changer. There's no question about it. But that revelation is the foundation of the church. It's a new culture. It brings us into a whole counterculture to the way that we used to live. The old has passed away, totally new, is set before us. And so we went on the second week and we began to realize that Jesus' purpose in coming to earth was to save mankind. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that he came to earth because I'm a sinner. I needed his saving grace in my life. And so he didn't just come and spend a day and go to the cross and raise from the dead. He didn't do that. He spent three years that he spent publicly working with disciples. He was teaching them. He was fixing things. He was showing the way that the Jesus culture is supposed to be. Maybe you remember in that message, Jesus taught us about his culture through the miracles that he performed. The miracle of opening blind eyes. He gave us vision. Aren't you glad that we can see? He, he saw lack. He says, that's not the way it's supposed to be, not in my kingdom. And so he multiplied food and showed us that in the kingdom of God, there is provision in Jesus Christ. He showed us new life by raising the dead from death to life. And he showed us that that's what the kingdom culture is about, brand new life. And then he finished by showing us the miracle, uh, the first miracle that he did, that our lives are worth celebrating. Amen. Maybe you remember that. So then the following week, uh, uh, we, we continued on, and he, Jesus taught the, the, the culture through the stories he told, not just the miracles he performed, but now through the stories he told. And if you remember, 
Jesus often taught through parables. And so we remember the parable that we spoke of, the prodigal son. And here's a young man who makes a complete mess of his life. I hopefully you'll be able to relate to that, amen, because that's what we've all done is make a mess of our lives. And so Jesus, uh, uh, as he tells this parable, the prodigal son comes home and he's kind of sheepish about approaching the father. He feels like the father's given up on him, said, you know, there's no use uh, spending any time with you. But instead, he taught us the culture, the kingdom culture, that when a sinner comes back to God, everything's right. He did what? He took the robe and he put it on. It, over the pig's clothes, you know, the righteousness of man, that's, that's nothing but a mess. He put on the robe of his righteousness and then he took the ring and he put it on his finger. And with that, he said, look, I'm going to restore to you authority. And so now you can use my name, the Father's name. And then he gave him uh, uh, the sandals of purpose. And so he said, you've got a, you still got life and you. Failure is not going to define you. There's a future that's ahead for you. So God, from that, we learn the culture. God's not mad at us. Aren't you glad about that? Because each one of us, I know, have made terrible mistakes in our lives. But when we come back to God, we can expect Jesus' culture and everything is going to be all right. So today, I want to teach further in this series, not just through the miracles that he performed or the stories that he told, but Jesus also taught culture through the experiences that they shared. That's why Jesus spent so much time with his disciples because life lessons have a way of leaving a lasting impression. I mean, you just think about it in your own life uh, that some things you just had to learn the hard way. You just had to go through it and you recognize, oh, now I understand what this is all about. See, that is why Jesus did life with his disciples. He spent time with them, not just teaching the word, not just telling them stories, not just even performing miracles, but he went through life with them so that they could understand, see firsthand culture through the things they experienced. As we learned last week that truth is more caught than taught, and we can easily insert the word culture there, couldn't we? Culture is, easy, is more caught than it is taught. You've got to be around it. You've got to see it in operation. And so one of the cultural traits that Jesus had to teach. I mean, it's so important for us if we're going to make it in this world. One of the things he had to teach was this cultural point. In Jesus' culture, weakness is preferable to strength. I wonder if you wouldn't just say that with me today. Just kind of get it down in your, in your heart. Weakness, I say it with me, weakness is preferable to strength. In Jesus' culture, that's the way it is. Now, this concept was so vital that just stories or miracles would not suffice. To adopt this into his disciples, he knew that he'd have to walk through it with them. He'd have to experience it. Because society naturally celebrates strength and denigrates weakness. I mean, it's the chiseled body that everybody is cheering for, right? 
It's the one with the best grades, the best income, the, the one that's the champion of the, of the tournament. That's, that's who everybody's cheering for. But they get the accolades, they get the glory, but it's not so in Jesus' culture. In Ecclesiastics 9, 11, the Bible says, I took another walk around the neighborhood and realized that on this earth as it is, the race is not always to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor satisfaction to the wise, nor riches to the smart, nor grace to the learned. Sooner or later, you're all going to understand bad luck hits us all. I love the way the message translation says that because there's something about being on top that leads us to this illusion of self-sufficiency. And friends, let me just tell you, it is an illusion because we cannot even breathe without the help of the Lord. If we don't, if, if the Lord doesn't allow it, we're, we're, we're just not there. See, what happens with self-sufficiency is it leads to the kiss of death in the Jesus culture because the Bible says pride comes before destruction and what? A destruction comes, a, a, a fall comes after a, a haughty spirit or a prideful spirit. And so God actually resists the proud. He, res, he hand checks them, puts them back while he gives grace to who? Well, those that are in need, those that are weak. Uh, to put this in perspective, we look, have to look no farther than the Disney star. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, every couple of years, there's a new young actor, actress that becomes the latest Disney star. All the kids just look up to him or her and all the parents look at him and oh, sweet and kind and pretty and everything. And, 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 but you just follow their life a little bit. And time after time, those uh, Disney stars that had everything working out for them, they find themselves in messed up situations, divorced, drug addicted, acting out as a fool. We see it in the gifted uh, uh, athlete that the whole world bows before them because they're such a great athlete. And they get away with, well, with anything they want to get away with. But sooner or later, it comes out that they've got a loaded handgun in the car or drugs in the, in the glove box or, or they've raped a girl or some kind of thing, thing that comes along. Or the rock star who everyone worships. They spend their money, buy a ticket just to see them play. But it doesn't take long to see what happens in their life as life begins to unfold because mark this down, pride is at the bottom of all great mistakes. Everyone that, that gets into a place of pride uh, will find themselves in failure because pride blinds us from our need of dependence upon Jesus Christ. See, weakness, other, on the other hand, it leads us to lean on Jesus. We, we hear it about, the, the, we put down jailhouse conversions. Well, we don't need to put those down, folks. Because what happens is when a person's on the top, well, they don't need Jesus. But they wake up in a jail cell and all of a sudden, guess what? They're crying out for some kind of help. And when we lean on Jesus, friend, that's when strength comes that we never knew that we had. There's help with, for those of us that have failed. It's just like the story of the young preacher that was sitting in a service with his old mentor. And uh, as the service was progressing, the young preacher is 
antsy. He's ready to go. He's going to preach his first sermon. He's prepared. He's put everything together, and he leans over to the older preacher, and he says, and I have a message from God. I'm telling you today, the fire's going to fall. When I get, I, I mean, God's going to move today. I've got a message. And so the time came, and the young preacher bounded up the stairs, got behind the pulpit. He was raring to go. But as he began to preach, uh, he realized he was not really engaging the crowd. It wasn't happening quite like he envisioned in his, in his mind. And so he stumbled over his words, and finally, mercifully, the sermon came to an end. And that, that young preacher walked off the pulpit, his head bowed, uh, humbled by what had happened, and uh, sat down next to the older preacher. And the older preacher leaned over to him and said, you know, if you'd gone up into the pulpit the way you came down, you'd have come down from the pulpit the way you went up. Now, you think about that, you recognize that in the Jesus culture, this is the important uh, uh, principle that we have to learn. It's embodied in the scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 10. In the second half of that scripture, it says this, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Would you read that, just, just those few words, read that with me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Doesn't make, seem to make sense, does it? But this was taught to his disciples all the way through the time that Jesus spent with them. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus chose the 12. Out of all the ones that were following, he chose 12 and, 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 and gathered them around. He went down from the mountain. He stood with the 12 disciples and around him were everyone else that were following him. And Jesus began to teach. And he began to teach what the Jesus culture was all about. He said, blessed are you if you're weak. Blessed are you if you're in need or you're vulnerable or you're defenseless. Literally, he said, blessed are you that are poor. He said, blessed are you that are hungry or weeping or are hated for my namesake or disrespected. And Jesus speaks this out. I'm sure the crowd and even the disciples he'd just chosen began to think, what's he talking about? But Jesus finishes that statement with this. When that happens, when you're poor, when you're hungry, when you're disrespected, when you're hated, when you're weeping, he says, when that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember that the prophets before you, that's the way they were treated as well. See, nowhere in Scripture is this principle more evident at the end of Jesus' life, at the week that you and I are celebrating this particular week. So let's read an experience that Jesus led his disciples through. They had to experience it. They had to realize that weakness was preferable to strength. The setting that we're reading in Luke chapter 22 in your Bibles is after the excitement of Palm Sunday. Most of you would recognize Palm Sunday, the day that all Jerusalem, so, it is so enlarged because people had come to celebrate the Passover. And the, the whole city was awakened and, and they began to gather as Jesus came down the mountain and People were singing Hosanna in the highest. Everyone took note of what was happening. But 
This setting is after the excitement of that day. And Jesus gathers with his disciples and he tells them we need to celebrate the Passover. And so he sent a couple of his disciples out to find a room that would be adequate to house the 13 of them. And the, there they, they, they uh, got that room together and Jesus shows up, the 12 disciples with him, and they began to celebrate the Passover. And in the middle of the Passover, what Jesus does is he takes a turn. He begins to institute what you and I know today is the Lord's Supper. And so there in the Lord's Supper, he's telling them that they're going to, every time they partake of this, they're going to remember their weakness and their need of what Jesus did for them on the cross of Calvary. If you remember what happens then, Jesus said, well, one of you are going to betray me. And the room, I'm sure, became kind of filled with friction as they began to say, is it, is it me? And Jesus said, no, it's the one who right now is dipping in the, in the, with the bread in the, in the wine. And of course, that was Judas. The Bible says he hurries out of the room and then inexplicably, an argument breaks out of the other 11 disciples. And they begin to argue this, uh, hard to believe. Luke chapter 22. They began to argue among themselves who would be the greatest among them. Now, I can't picture that. You know, I mean, after, after this has happened, and Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, and he points out who it is, and yet these are now jockeying for a position of how can I become the greatest in the kingdom? And so Jesus told them, in the world, kings and great men power up over people. But among you, it's going to be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like the servant. Who's more important, he asked? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? And he answered that question. He says simply, of course, it's the one that sits at the table. But he says, not here. Not in the Jesus culture. For I am among you as one who serves. And so Jesus was showing them through a life experience the way that it was, the one who serves. The weakest one is the one who would become the greatest. Could you imagine what went through the minds of the disciples? I mean, this absolutely blows their mind. All of a sudden, they're thinking, well, um, you know, that's different than anything we've ever heard in our life. This is a cultural bombshell. This is a total... Uh, uh, destruction of the, what we believe in culture today, Jesus was literally saying to them, weakness is preferable to strength. And so Jesus addresses them further in verse 28. And he says, you guys have stayed with me in my time of trial. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. What he's telling them is that now what qualified them for greatness is not what they did or what they can do, not their abilities and their strength, but instead because you stayed with me and you served, you took the lowest ranks and that qualifies you to be great in the kingdom of God. This concept runs so countercultural that still it's not registering inside of them. And so Jesus tells Peter, he singles them out, and he tells Peter, you're vulnerable, Peter. 
You are subject to failure. Luke 22, verse 31. He says, Simon, Satan is asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. And when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brethren. Now, notice that what Jesus is doing is he's warning Peter. He's saying, Peter, you're weak. Peter, you're going to need some help. You're going to need some assistance. And Jesus says, don't worry now. I'm on the job. I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to bring you strength so that, that, that this is not going to destroy you. But what does Peter do? Well, he pushes aside the help. He literally powers up and says to Jesus in so many words, I got this. I got this under control, man. You don't understand. I'm the man. I'm with you. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 33, what the scripture says, Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you if necessary. In Mark's gospel, it says it this way. He says, no, Peter defied emphatically, declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. See, something about when we feel like we've got life handled, when we feel like the battles that are going to come our way, we've got it covered, I want to tell you something. We're in trouble. Are, are you with me today? We need Jesus. Because I can tell you, where we're weak, that's the only time that this, we had, Jesus has opportunity to come and give us a strength that is way greater than anything we could possess. That's why the Zechariah the prophet declared, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I cannot tell you how many failures I've witnessed from excellent, good, powerful ministers. I mean, they start off with this ability, God-given gift. They can give it, give it, give a sermon. They can speak with words that draw people in to hear them. They've got organizational skills. They're able to put together to, put, to, to build a large mega ministry. But let me just tell you something. We are no match for Satan. Every time we begin to think, we've got this. I can handle this. I don't need him. Then there is something that happens that we don't want to see. Listen, we are no match for Satan. See it all through the Bible. If you remember King Saul, powerful, head and strong, head and shoulders above all the, the other men in Israel, chosen to be the king, and he begins his reign. It, it, it's really good. Th things are beginning to happen. But all of a sudden, he begins to be full of himself. He understands, I've got this. It's no problem. I don't need the direction from the prophet, the man of God. But Samuel comes, comes to him at 1 Samuel 15, and he says, when you were little in your own eyes, you were the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you to be king over Israel. Notice what he says. He said, when you uh, uh, were humbled, when you realized your need, if you're going to be king over God's people that you needed him, you were powerful and anointed, 
But as soon as you began to think you had it under control, you fell. We read it about Samson, a man of tremendous strength. He was so strong that nothing could come against him. And so we know the story that over time, he began to take for granted the strength of God until he was one time tied up by Delilah. And in verse 17 of that 15th chapter, Samuel, uh, I mean, if Judges rather, 16 and 20, he said, I will go out as before and other times. I'll shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. There's something that happens. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Even Moses, I mean, we've been reading about him. What a tremendous, unbelievably powerful man of God, leading the children of Israel through all the crises, being used of God and still the meekest of all men. But one day he became so frustrated that it wore him down to the point God said, speak to the rock. Instead, he in his anger struck the rock. And you and I know as a result of that, he was unable to enter the promises of God. Listen, none of us can handle the circumstances that life's going to bring without the power and the help of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a scripture that I read I remember reading as a, as a young convert and almost shaking my head in disbelief, how can this be? That in Romans 3 and 10, it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. And I loved God. I wanted to please God. I wanted to do what was right. I wanted to think that somehow I could be good enough, but the truth of the matter is the more we begin to think we've got it, the less we have access to the power of heaven that wants to help us. And so Jesus tries to warn Peter. He says, look, man, you are no match for, uh, for Satan. If you try to handle this, Peter, in your own strength, well, you're just going to fail. In Mark chapter 22, verse 34, Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even knew me. This is the same words that Peter said earlier, said, I will never deny you. And Jesus calls him and says, man, if you're going to rely on your own strength today, just today, you said this, just today you're going to deny me three times. And so the Bible declares that G Peter begins to morph back into the world's way of thinking with bravado. He so desperately needed to learn Jesus' culture because we know that Peter's going to teach Jesus' culture to those that would come after him. In just a matter of weeks, he would be the spokesman for the church of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus had to lead him through a life experience of utter failure. Sometimes we can only learn the hard way. Can I hear you say amen? So Jesus led Peter and the disciples into the garden to pray. You know what prayer is, don't you? Prayer is just a way of expressing weakness of need. Honestly, what are you praying? When you come to God, we pray, and we're, what we're doing is we're acknowledging our inability, our, our, our need for Him, 
And honestly, all effective prayer that I've ever prayed in my life, you can boil it down to one word, help. I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is. I mean, I, I, I can't handle it, Lord. I, I don't know what to do next. I, it's over my head. I, I need your help, Lord. And so Jesus prayed. And the reason Jesus prayed, even though he's the son of God, is he needs God's help to finish his purpose. But not Peter. Peter's got it under control, you know. And so he says, you know, go and pray, Jesus. I, I know you, you need it, but I'm going to use this time to rest up. If I rest up, then I'll have my strength. Luke 22, interesting scripture. Verse 39, then accompanied by his disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room, went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray. Why? Well, so that you will not be given to temptation. So Jesus walked away about a stone's throw. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. The next verse, so powerful. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. You see the principle worked out? Jesus, the Son of God, is coming up a circumstance that he goes, I, I, in, the, in the flesh, I can't, I can't hang. I can't deal with this. This is, this is too much for me. I want your will, Lord, but I need your help to get through this time. We know that even great drops of blood, like from sweat, just drop from his forehead as the agony of his prayer. But then, after the prayer, after his cry of help, an angel from heaven comes and strengthens him. That's exactly what Peter needed. He needed to pray. He needed to have the strength of heaven. But, but because he was strong, he failed. He was weak in his own flesh, and he failed. Mark chapter 14. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He says, Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watching, pray. Why? So that you will not give in to temptation. Because, Peter, your spirit is willing. Oh, but your natural strength is weak. We know what happens. At that very instant, Judas comes with the crowd and the kiss of betrayal takes place. They take, Pete, they take Jesus away. They begin to whip and beat him, as we'll talk about on Good Friday. And Peter follows. We know that he sings outside, and someone sees him, and he begins to talk, and they accuse him. You're one of his disciples. We, we can tell it, but Peter goes, uh, uh, no, no, no. I'm not a, I, I never even knew him. We know that three times he denies the Lord. And then what happens? Well, the crow, uh, the, the rooster begins to crow. In Luke chapter 20 and verse 60, follow it carefully. But Peter denies it and says, man, I don't know what you're saying. And immediately, while he's still denying the Lord, the rooster crowed. This scripture has always impacted me. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I remember preaching a sermon out of that scripture. I, I just put myself in his shoes for just a moment. I, 
have declared how strong I am. I'm willing to go to death. I'll never deny you, Lord. And that he tells me, no, no, you're weak, Carl. You're going to need help. You need to stand here and pray with me so you don't fall. But, but instead, no, no, I got this covered. I, I would never let you down, Lord. And then I did it. It happened. I failed. And Jesus turns and he looks at you. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he'd said to him before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And so Peter went out and wept bitterly. Could you imagine what went through the mind of Peter when he heard the rooster crow and he quickly turns to see Jesus and Jesus is looking at him with loving eyes? Failure. He just betrayed the one he loved. I mean, Peter loved him. There's no question about it. Peter wanted to do what was right. There's no question about it. But he was in a situation that was over his head, beyond his strength level, defeat. But you know what? Easter's coming. And the truth of the matter is, we know that failure doesn't have to be final. Can I hear you say amen? We just have to embrace the culture that Jesus has bought and paid for. We have to learn the lesson. We are no match for Satan. We're no match for the circumstances of life. It's going to come against us. It's going to come in ways that we don't understand it. It's going to bring to us heartache. It's going to bring to us a feeling of inferiority, insecurity, all the things that come upon us as, as individuals. But we've got to learn the lesson of the culture that Jesus bought and paid for. That you and I, in our own, we're weak. Doesn't matter if we're a preacher. Doesn't matter if we're a pastor. Doesn't matter how long we've been saved or how young we are in the Lord. If every one of us are going to come against circumstances when, boom, it happens and we fail. But we must learn that in that failure, what we've got to do when we're weak is turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you now like I've never needed you before. It's the scripture. We must rely, trust, cling to the name of Jesus Christ. We must realize that we are going to be defeated in life. We're going to go through times when we fail. But the good news, culture, we learned it last week that the prodigal came home with his head down, looking like it was all over. Let me just tell you something, friends. The culture of the kingdom is the welcoming father that says, come on back home. Let's work this out together. Here's my robe. Here's my ring. Here's sandals for your purpose. See, what happened is Peter recovered from his failure. Why? Well, because Jesus refuses to allow failure to define us. He will not allow it to become permanent. And so what happened, as you remember, is Jesus, uh, Peter rather, was so distraught. He went and wept bitterly. He was so, feeling so low, so bad about himself that he went back to his old lifestyle. There he is on a boat, if you remember, and Jesus shows up on the shore, resurrected from the dead. Peter looks in, it looks like Jesus. He thinks it might be Jesus, 
But a miracle happens again as Jesus reaffirms the culture to him. And then he says, Peter, bring one of those fish. Come on, let's sit down and have some breakfast. Now, I don't know how coffee and fish go together, but, uh, but that's what Jesus did. Amen. And they sat down and they began to work it out. In the, in, and what we know is that Peter got back up. Aren't you glad for that today? He got back up and he began to do what Jesus had called him to do. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9, he began to teach all of those that were around him about the culture that they were now birthed into. He said to those sinners, he said to those who were struggling, looking for revelation, looking for understanding, he said, you are the ones chosen by God. You are the ones chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he's made for you from nothing to something, from rejection to acceptance. That's what we're called to do today. Peter's telling us in the kingdom culture, in Jesus' culture, failure's not final. All it does is give us a testimony. And now we take our failure and we reach out to comfort others that are going through the same doggone thing that we failed out and tell them, hey, brother, when we're weak, that's where we're strong. Let's turn to Jesus. He says, friends, Peter teaches them, this is world is not your home. So don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego with the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and they will be there to join you in celebration when he arrives. Jesus culture. I want to tell you something. Learning to live in Jesus culture is not easy. That's why Jesus taught it through parables, stories that he told. It's why he taught it through miracles, miracles that he performed. It's why he taught it through shared life experiences. Because sometimes the culture is more caught than it is taught. But I can tell you that you're in a church surrounded by a church family and if I was to be honest with you I'd tell you that you're sitting around 100% failures people who have at one time or other in our lives have allowed pride to be at the root of difficult problems in our lives when we thought we had it all together when we thought we knew better than everybody else we ended up falling on our face and making a mess but you know that old preacher the one that told him he said if you'd have just gone up into the pulpit the way you came down you'd have gone up into that pulpit you'd have come down from that pulpit the way you went up he leaned over to his distraught disciple he said son's coming up tomorrow son be another sermon to preach 
Failure doesn't define us. As we prepare for Good Friday, I, I, I pray as I open this series back in the first week of the month or maybe in the first of last month, whatever it was, I began to talk about revelation of Jesus Christ and I urge you to sit with your families. Just leave it to our Sunday school department. It's, in spite of the fact that they do such a phenomenal job, sit down and talk, share. Talk about the story. Put it in them. Let them remember and know that mom and dad think enough about Jesus to remind them, to talk to them in their own homes about what it means. And prepare them and yourselves as we enter into the amphitheater on Friday night under stars of heaven and beauty of nature and then beautiful worship music, everything that's there, the communion table. Prepare yourself to go to that communion table. And when you go, to take and eat and drink, to remember that because I was weak, I turned to Jesus. Now I've found his strength. Because it's what it's all about. We need Jesus. Maybe you just bow your hearts with me for just a moment in the presence of God. Father, we stop for just a moment to enter in, to try to learn how to live in the culture that you've provided for us, the culture that will be ours in the heavens. And just as Jesus spoke to his disciples that really had got everything upside down, didn't understand. Just as you taught them, Lord, that failure is not final. Just as you taught them, Lord, that there's a future waiting for them. Lord, let it be built into our hearts that our lives have purpose of celebration. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over this auditorium, maybe maybe just for a moment of time. You've come into the house of God this morning. Failure is trying to define you right now. Friend, let me just tell you something. You're in good company. Peter loved God with his whole heart. He wanted to do what was right. He tried, but he tried in his own strength. The good news is when he failed, Jesus would not let failure be final in Peter's life. He went after him. And this morning, that's exactly what I'm doing as I conclude this service. As I'm coming after you with Jesus' own words. Because let me just tell you something today. Jesus loves you in your failure. He reaches out to you. He says it. That when we're weak, that's when we call up. Let prayer strengthen you. Make it a one-word prayer. Let it just be that effective word. Help. Help me, Jesus. If that's you this morning and you have need to come to the cross and lay the burden down, 
to come to a new life that Jesus has for you. Let the old be forgotten and the new become part. I wonder if you would slip a hand up and then put it right back down. But with that upraised head, you'd say, that's me. I, I need Jesus right now. Just in what I'm going through. I need him. Right here to my, to my left, Carrie. Maybe just look at me. Would you come? This precious couple has been through terrible loss. Maybe some of you picked it up from social media. I mean, circumstances come, dude. And in your life, they've come at you hard and heavy like crazy. Lost their son. Parents. Horrible experience. And I'd ask some of you that are in your weakness, you found a strength that you did not know you had. I'd ask you to get up out of your seat, come and stand with the Galios this morning. Let's pray. Yes. Those of you that in your in your weakness you found a strength that's that's so helpful. Oh, look at this. So many come. As a family of God, we acknowledge we're weak. But God, we call on you for strength. And Father, right now we stand with our brother and sister. Lord, with the unimaginable grief that has tried to surround them. Our strength is just nowhere near able to withstand. Can't do this, Father, on our own. But we know. We know that where you are, there's healing. Father, I speak right now to the grief in the name of Jesus Christ that as you work your way through this season of their life, God, that you bring joy in the future. Thank you, Lord, that the race is not always to the swift or the battle to the strong, but thank you, Lord, that sometime in our weakness we realize how desperate we are for you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord. Just right where we're at, around our brothers, brother and sister. Let's just worship Him. Jesus. Come on, sing us out. I'm never running out of ways. Never running out of ways to praise you. Oh, come on, let's worship the Lord this morning. Lift your hands and sing.
Lord this morning. Come on. Aren't you grateful for the Lord? What a great word that was this morning. I'm grateful today that it's God's strength in my weakness. Aren't you glad you don't have to, you don't have to do it by yourself? Aren't you grateful for that? I don't have to do, I don't have to go through this alone. I don't have to do this on my, on my own strength. How many know our strength fails time and time and time again? How many found that to be true? I'm grateful today for the Lord who gives us strength in our weakness, strength in our weakness. You know, um, I want to pray for Jose. This is Jose's last service with us for a while. Uh, he's, he's our resident Marine, got, got, uh, baptized last Sunday, if you remember. And, um, He's, he's headed off on deployment. He's like, this is his last Sunday with us for, for, for a while. We'll know we're going to see him again, but, but for the next little while, we want to pray for God's protection over him. And really what's happening is, is his wife is on deployment right now, and they're missing each other. She's actually on her way back, and he's on his way out. And so they're going to they're gonna be separated for, for longer than they had hoped. Um, so we just want to pray that God, God would just sustain them, keep them. We're looking forward to seeing, we're going to see Alicia before you. So we're looking forward to seeing her um, and I know that you guys are just I know that's the, that's that's the tough part and uh, we just want to pray for both of them we we'll pray for their marriage we want to pray for God's protection over Jose and uh, how, many, how many would do that would join together uh, with our brother Lord we thank you today for Jose God we're grateful for him Lord Lord the, the miracle you've done in his life Lord the, the progress they've made in their marriage Lord, Alicia and Jose, we thank you for this couple, Lord. Lord, as Jose goes out on deployment, we pray, God, that you'd protect him, that you'd be with him, Lord. God, you protect his mind, God. Keep him, Lord. Keep him strong. Lord, as he tunes in, Lord, to our services from overseas, I pray, Lord, that you'd reach in, Lord God, and cause him to grow even more, God. Cause his strength to be, to be lifted, God. I pray he'd be encouraged, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray right now over his, over his life, God, protect him, keep him him we thank you for him in jesus name everybody said amen come on can we give the lord a clap offering thank you oh amen we got something to celebrate this morning can we celebrate a little bit where's courtney at where's courtney courtney corey proposed to courtney last week on her birthday she's getting married everyone come on let's celebrate that aren't you isn't that great news Amen. I'm excited about that. My, my concern was Jeremiah. When, when I heard the news, I'm like, how's Jeremiah taking it? And he actually cried with excitement. And that, I heard that story. That just blessed my heart so much. And uh, so we're, we're excited. We celebrate. How, how many believe that God, our, your life is worth celebrating? Every part of it. And so we celebrate with you, Cornet. So exciting. So exciting. Amen. We want to thank you for being with us. This is an important week. We're coming together this Good Friday. I'm, I'm encouraging everyone. You say, well, I only come on Sundays change your schedule Friday night 7 p.m. we're gonna be in the amphitheater we're gonna have a great time we're gonna celebrate communion together we're gonna to worship together it's gonna to be such an amazing time and then next Sunday we're gonna gather back in here on Easter Sunday we're gonna celebrate that we're no longer dead in our trespasses but we're we're resurrected with Christ amen we've been made alive aren't you grateful today that we're alive in Jesus so we're gonna celebrate that this week have a amazing week God bless you guys have a great Sunday, we love you so much.